The Wiggly Sale is still on as long as you're listening in January 2009. And if you're listening in January 2009, it's darts time. Darts. You like darts? I right? do. I, I love darts. You know, I was watching the darts last night at ten past one. I took myself off to bed. Really? Yeah, well, I had to catch up on the highlights, you see, because I, I went off and did a talk down near Banbury. Yeah. And because uh, and I, I got back kind of late and I missed the darts because I had to leave early and then to catch up. And uh, oh, some brilliant darty action. Wolfie was on the stage. Woo, come on. Rubbish. But anyway, <laughs> uh, this week's show uh, will be interspersed with facts. Facts on pied wagtails and facts on darts. Right, okay. That's rather nice, isn't it? <laughs> Good. Anyway, coming up, we're going to hear all about Farmer Phil's culinary skills when he cooks Richard's fishes. Mm. Richard goes off in chase of a bumblebee. Yep. Bzzz, I bet that's interesting, isn't it? It was interesting, actually. <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah, it's a little bit. I mentioned you when I was talking about that bumblebee. Yeah, I won't tell you what it was about, but you'll seem fine. Is it red bum? Nothing, nothing physical. Nothing nice. Or not? <laughs> no, no. Not really. No, so, you know, you know, sort of uh, slightly a superficial mention of you, almost. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, uh, your name was mentioned. But if you're just tuning in, this is indeed. The Wiggly Podcast from The Wiggly Sofa in The Wiggly Land, Blakemere, Herefordshire, UK. I'm Heather and I'm joined today by... Richard and Farmer Phil. Yippee. Let's go and listen to a Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Wiggly Wigglers won the Mouse and Trial Award for the best gardening podcast of both 2007 and 2008. Another Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Next week. Pied Wagtail Facts number one. The Pied Wagtail is a small black and white bird and its most distinctive feature is its wagging tail. Excellent. It never stops. Now, Rich, I want to know about feeding with a ground feeder. Yeah. Now, I put out my feed, as you know, every week, and I fill the seed feeders, and I put the niger in the niger feeders, and I put the peanuts in the cage ones so they can't get holes, and I put the mealworms in the steep-sided dish, and I put the water in the water, and it's all going well until the ground feeder. Right. Which is invariably tipped up, wrecked, and something else has eaten the muesli. Right. That was in it. Right. What is the point of putting food on the floor? And is there an alternative, please, to a bird that doesn't fancy hanging on a perch? Yeah, well, is it, I mean, the reason they especially use ground feed is just because the, uh, birds like blackbirds and, and thrushes don't like something that's moving. They don't want to hang on to a, a swinging bird feeder. They don't like to. They, they won't do it. So you're, pu- you're putting a feed on the ground to uh, provide some sustenance for those guys, really. But, of course, like you and Phil said, you know, I mean, if you, you put a ground feeder out in the Blakemere garden and the, the badgers will come along and, uh, and ransack it in no time at all. You know, you and lose all your, all your seed. Yeah, dogs, cats. And it also it always strikes me as it kind of puts birds in a vulnerable position. You know, it puts them on the ground in a space that can be easily identified as a kind of an opportunity for killing for, you know, the likes of Noah, for instance. And so it's so not that the birds want to be on the ground. It's not that they have a, a need for being on the ground. 
on it, the it grass. It tends to be that most birds, like blackbirds, for instance, do tend to spend a great deal of time hopping along the ground, looking for beasts and bugs and little tasty morsels that uh, that they you can pick out. Birds like the surf, um, the turf and notably that. chaffinches and sparrows. Mm. Very often, if you've got a feeder on a bird a bird table type feeder, yeah, you'll find one or two of them on the feeder, and they'll literally heave the seed out of the bottom of the feeder. <laughs> And shovel it onto the ground, and then you have a big group of yeah, birds packing. Right. Yeah, yeah. I wondered whether is that because actually birds, and in my case, pheasants on the shoot, they actually prefer to hunt for their food. So that if you feed them in straw or stuff that they can scratch around in or grass, they actually prefer that than to having the stuff in a heap in front of them. Yeah, I'm sure that's what, exactly what it is. You know, it's an easy way of being able to sort through the, the seed that they like the most. And of course, finches. I mean, naturally, at this time of year, they'd be rummaging through stubble fields and the like, and they've been left there's sufficient seed for them to get through the, these uh, colder times, you know. And, uh, and we're, we're kind of substituted that with with bird feeders. But I'm not really, I'm not a massive fan of ground hoppers to sort of consciously attract something to feed on the ground in one place. If you've got a um, bird tables are great because they're elevated. So would that they, do it? They tend to, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, blackbirds are, are quite happy to visit uh, a bird's table as long as it's stationary solid not swinging and then you can put your morsels on your bird table then um, so we just need a bigger bird table yeah or just stick a post underneath your ground feeder <laughs> to keep it off the phenomenal <laughs> that will work a treat yeah some people like ground feeders and we sell ground feeders of course and I wouldn't want to put people anybody off no certainly from, not from buying one but it, it would never be my first choice of bird feeder I'll put the ground feeder on the wall good idea facts on darts the score of 26 comprising of a 20, 5 and a 1 is also known as... Trousers. Good Lord. No, he's wrong. It's bed and breakfast. Sorry, Farmer Phil. Is that right? We always called it trousers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> I had no idea there was such terminology for, for uh, scores on a dartboard. On my uh, on my day when I came in, I think it was uh, it was quite literally my birthday, uh, the thirty first of December, and uh, I was cleaning out my desk to uh, leave my wiggly cares behind. <laughs> <laughs> You've done that well, then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, in came Farmer Phil, and uh, and he said, "Oh, you know, as he does, Happy New Year, Rich Hill, brother." <laughs> <laughs> great impression. And I said, oh, how are you, Phil? All right, do you have a nice Christmas? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I had a great Christmas. He said, do you know what I did? He said, you know that fish you brought in? I made some fish fingers. I said, did you? And not realising that Phil had uh, hidden uh, culinary inclinations. And I suppose he has to cook there, really, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he, he sort of admitted that he'd, he'd cut up some of the uh, some of the cod. That um, and he, I, I, mean, I think the best thing, right? So this in this instance that we agreed to swap a little bit of cod for some sausages from said pigs that are still wandering <laughs> yeah. around alive. In Not the, quite in ready. The field. Not quite. Right. Uh, but isn't, so, so the best thing for me in the world is to go fishing, catch a few cracking little codling in good company a bunch of interesting lads have a cracking day out get back with the spoils of the day fillet them and swap them with somebody else for some food that they're producing themselves that somebody has taken that stuff and made something and enjoyed doing something with it and made something out of it and provided sustenance for their whole family isn't that a kind of wonderful scenario isn't that the best thing in the world now farmer phil which restaurant round here, do you have the best fish and chips in? The River Cafe, 
bar none. Really? And they his do a good fish, and chips. fish fingers were better, I think, just really? than Damn. the River Cafe's wow. fish and chips. That's only because he made them for me. Oh, uh, right. It was a very sweet gesture. Lovely. Did you have to be asked to do it, or did you just say, Yeah, we had right, a big my row. darling, I'm going to... Yeah, we had a big, was a big row before that I wasn't it. actually <laughs> pulling my weight in the house department. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and right. Heather, you know, she gets you know, a bit waspish and yes, fractious. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And um, so the answer was to get on the old cooker. I don't right. waspish. I may get bumblebee-ish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I made the sponges. I made six sponges over the whole day. Four, the height of the sponge was less than two centimetres. And one sponge was a whopper. It was about eight inches tall. It was the lightest, fluffiest, beautiful sponge you've ever tasted. But I don't know how I did it. Right, right. Back to the fish. Well, I can see that you've taken some satisfaction from creating these wonderful sponges. And you, you said to me just before Christmas, what are you going to have for Christmas uh, dinner? I said, oh, our own chickens, right? So quite literally two days before Christmas, I wandered up to the unfortunate beasts that were about to, uh, to, to beat their maker. And I took the iPod with me, right, to record the process. So I did. I recorded the process thinking it might be quite a nice feature. And some... <laughs> So the part of it was, was it was going well right up until the <laughs> bit <laughs> and I thought no the listener won't want to listen to that <laughs> but, but they have now <laughs> because that was the best impression I've ever seen of a dying chicken literally listener he got up, chopped his own head off and ran round and round the room with his head over there. Blood was pouring from his body and now he sat back that? down. Well quite, done, quite Hamlet. Dramatic, but, but anyway, we were doing that process and I'm not kidding you, those chickens were the best chickens I've ever eaten. I mean, it would have cost me a lot more to get them to that stage where I could <laughs> eat them than it would to go down and buy a, a lovely free-range chicken. But equally, what a sense of achievement. And, you know, Sarah made some of the nicest pâté I've ever eaten from the, from the chicken livers as well. So that was a real achievement, like, honestly. It was a pretty good thing to do, you know. I really enjoyed it. Scrummy. Let's have another dart fact before we have Farmer Phil's fish finger recipe. <coughs> Richie... Burnett, a Welsh dart player's sporting heroes are Muhammad Ali and John McEnroe. Oh, good. I've got another dart fact for you. <laughs> That's really interesting, yeah. That's really good. Perhaps you should keep the next one to yourself. <laughs> Let's move on. One last one. Oh, go on then. Because this one is very much related to our interests. Okay, go for you it. You know, like Burnett could have been a moss. Indeed. Well, this one is really good. Right. <clears throat> the metal framework on at the face of a dartboard is called a spider. Really? Yes! There you are. Brilliant. Anyway, never mind all these dart facts. One thing I'm really keen to know, as a listener will be, is, is some, a little bit more about how Phil's gone about making his cracking-tasting fish fingers. Well, I thought it was going to be quite complicated, but actually it wasn't. And it was really easy, so that you just cut the fish into sort of rough fish finger type things. It didn't really matter. Yeah. 
and roll them in some seasoned flour, so a bit of salt and pepper and some plain flour, yep. and then roll the fish in the flour, and then dunk them in beaten eggs, right. and then roll them in breadcrumbs that you can just make with stale bread, whizzled up in the whizzler, you know, smack them all up. Yep. Beep! Yeah. Proper breadcrumbs. And then you can either deep fry them, which would have been my preference had my wife not ruined my deep fat fryer. So uh, I, I used them for the mealworms. Uh, so and I fried them in olive oil in, in the pan. Absolutely. And you just fry them until they're lightly golden brown and so yeah. that the fish is not overcooked. Because if you cook a fish finger too much, it goes all dry and horrible. It does, yeah, it's not nice. You, you only need to frighten it. You do really, yeah. And then it's yeah. done, isn't it? Yep, it is, absolutely. I mean, you can eat cod raw anyway, can't you, if you, if you really want to. And they were, the smell, oh, when I fried them, lovely. I, I was quite surprised, actually. I, I said, yeah. that smells like fish fingers, that yeah. does. Yeah. And it was just a jolly job. Fantastic. Yeah, you homemade chips. The way to do it. Lovely. Homemade chips. In the right. oven. Yeah. Oh, homemade oven chips. Hmm. Oh, right. Roasted, uh, left the skins on? No, what you do is you cut your chips up. Uh, parboil them for less than 10 minutes, okay. shake them up, bit yeah. of corn flab, uh, spray them with your uh, low-fat uh, spray. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Just fat. <laughs> fat. <laughs> so, yeah. And then you low put them lard. in the oven, really hot temperature, and they are delicious. Fabulous. This is great. So a homemade feast for the oranges. Absolutely. It didn't take long either, did it? After the row? Mm. Not long at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Nothing like making up with the food of love, is there, eh? Now, Rich, what should we be doing in the garden right now? Because I can't get the spade in anyway. Nothing. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Nothing really. Attempting to dig, uh, dig parsnips and salsify and bits and pieces that have frozen solid in the ground. Everything's thawing today, isn't it? Which is great news because I'm a bit fed up with busting the water in the and the geese pond and the, the chicken water and all the rest of it. It's becoming you a bit of a lay your hedges in this weather. Proper hedge laying weather. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. I mean, it's a great thing. I mean, if you can get this stuff, if you can get your trees in the ground i mean it's it's the it's the weather to uh, to get your hedging plants in you know, as we've talked about before but to be perfectly honest there's not really a great deal you can do pruning fruit trees that's a good thing to do at this time of year that's definitely something sensible so for for those uh, wiggly customers that bought apple trees last year uh, they should think about perhaps cutting those trees pruning them down and is it a doddle do you just prune it above the yeah, last buds what you need to do with fruit trees is prune them about eight inches so the new shoots that are coming from the large old wood, prune them for about eight inches, and then you end up with a sort of half a dozen buds on each stem. So there'll be a mix of new wood and buds that will be fruit. And the buds that will be fruit tend to be fatter and more at right angles with the stem than the buds that turn into the root, which tend to be slimmer. Not that you really need to complicate your life with all buds that stuff. Buds that but turn into the root? No, wood. So the buds that turn into wood, so new branches, as opposed to fruit. I was convinced you said flowers buds that turned into the root. Could have done. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to say that. So, no. buds that turn into new wood. So is the whole point that you get more fruit yeah. in less space? Uh, yeah, that's right, really. So you're encouraging more fruiting. Yeah. So by by pruning, so less energy goes into absolutely. Yeah. Ah, I see. Yeah. So I mean, it, you, it's important to prune fruit trees for the best prune, effect. And you always prune, and this probably goes for any trees. If you've got a diseased branch or a damaged branch, it is always good to prune it so it is a clean cut. Take it out, unless if you've got space. You know, it's quite nice to have a couple of dead fruit trees in the garden because oh, well, yeah. they're great. If you um, want a dead fruit tree, then don't. Yeah, them. yeah, they're great for all sorts of inverts, really. And, and uh, in the greenhouse, darling, in the greenhouse. Yeah, in the greenhouse, there's there's not. Oh God, it's too. 
it's too early yet, really, to, to think about doing anything. And I mean, you could have started. There's been there's been a sort of consensus over the last few years of starting off winter salads, you know, trying to get salads for for Christmas. And Terry did exactly this, right? This year he thought, oh, nice new feature for the Jeremy Vine show. I'll start a few leaves off uh, in the greenhouse. But of course, we've had a proper winter, so that's it. You're you're scuppered. There's no way anything's going to grow in this. Well, they grow to the extent where they're minuscule three millimetre tall affairs you know the seed the seed germinates and then bang the cold weather just fixes it so keeping the warm and get your sprouter out yeah get your sprouter out yeah i must uh, i did i found some mung beans at the back of the drawer when i was looking for some arrow diet last night and i thought i thought yeah I'll get those on the go. Looking for what? Um, Harold Dyke. Yeah, one of the so ornaments. His drawer is fell off the wall. As, uh, as organised as his desk used to be. Well, I do hope they won't be contaminated. I hope they're still organic. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, to be perfectly honest, and uh, we, we were contacted by somebody that wanted some, some help with a feature that they're writing, but you know, really, you, you're better off leaving everything undisturbed in the garden when it's cold like this because there is a risk that you're going to interrupt the winter sleep of some poor unfortunate creature. Wagtail facts, pied wagtail facts. The pied wagtail is only a little bigger than a great tit. Yeah, I suppose it is. It's a, it looks, it's a more of a robust bird though, isn't it, than a great tit? And can, behaves in a totally different fashion. Lots of long-tailed tits feeding on the suet feeders at home at the moment, and they're a fantastic, acrobatic little bird. Probably my favourite tit. On to Phil. <laughs> You've got a fact about pied wagtails, Phil. I have, I know. Oh, I thought you were going to say, you're a tit, Phil. I did, really, but you didn't notice. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. <laughs> Happy New Year. What happened to comic innuendo, Plonker. <laughs> Anyway, um, long uh, wagtails, yes, pied wagtails. I've noticed they're very inquisitive birds and they're very social. They tend to go around in groups. And I've noticed that when we're ploughing, if you stop at the headland for a sandwich or whatever, almost as soon as you've switched the tractor engine off, there will be half a dozen of them on the freshly turned over soil, all sort of chattering at each other and tails going and all the rest of it. Right. And I don't know what it... I, it must be something about freshly turned up soil. There must be stuff in it that they like or whatever, but they, they're always there, and we've got loads of them around here. I'm not sure the reason for it. I remember years and years ago when I worked... Uh, when I was living in Devon, and uh, I used to drive from the fish farm to Exeter to take the fish for wholesale in the wintertime, and we used to tr- drive to the car park just off a service station, just outside Exeter, a big expanse of car park, lots of lights, and as you were kind of loading in the fish box onto the wagon there'd be uh, massive flocks of wagtails all over the car mm. park around the lights and I'm not quite sure why they sort of gather up at that time of year if anybody knows the reason for that you know if you can let me know why it is that those pied wagtails need to group together and, uh, and, uh, and s- spend that amount of quality time on, on tarmac and artificial light then that'd be great the Latin name for a pied wagtail is <clears throat> Motta Silla Alba. Right. Three, three words. No, it was two <laughs> words. <laughs> it was Motacilla Alba. Ah, excellent. <laughs> Alba. Alba. Alba meaning white, I presume, is it? And they love insects. And I know this because every time I come out of the shed with the mealworms, there's a couple waiting just on the concrete and you can just give them their own little treat. Fantastic.
that's the 23rd of December. I've got to say, I've seen one of these guys almost certainly during every single month of the year. You know, people think that uh, bumblebees spend the whole of the winter tucked up in some quiet place at the bottom of a hedge. But the reality is that, you know, these mild days that we get, and it's incredibly mild today, it's just smacks of springtime, early spring. And uh, these guys come out in this big queen buff-tailed bumblebee is feasting, stuffing her face on the nectar from this hebe. Now this hebe, interestingly, I grew for some cuttings and uh, this is uh, a plant that I took some cuttings from at the back of Heather's house that she used to own in Loo, down in Cornwall. And it's done extremely well. Hebe's a piece of cake to grow from cuttings. But you know, when I look around the garden, there's, there's a few marigolds out precious little else in terms of nutrient for inverts like these stunning bumblebees it's such a beautiful thing to say I mean there's not another insect around nor likely to be for a long time and yet this beautiful yellow banded beast is just buzzing around and bringing this whole little space to life Fantastic. Big garden bird watch coming up, Rich. Yes. On the weekend, 30th anniversary of the RSPB's big garden bird watch. Yeah. Is that big gardens yeah. or big like, birds? They like to, uh, to sit in, in the window and uh, mark down a few choice animals. No, I'm going to get my own cup of tea and biscuit and I'm going to sit there and mark my own chart. Yeah. I'm going to say... Here's one! Excellent, yeah. It'll be interesting for, uh, for you to, to realise the, uh, the kind of population of different species that you've got to, that you entertain in the, in the Wiggly Garden. So that'd be good, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Last chance to get your bird feed taster pack. What a price. Here's right. the Wiggly advert for £10. You get one kilo of this, that and the other, plus mealworms, plus suet, plus sunflower hearts and suet, plus a box. Yeah. And the box is nice. It's a cracking little uh, little thing, isn't it? It's, it's a, a, it's a wonderful mixture of all sorts of, 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 of birdy delights. Yep, Farmer Phil, will you do me a special deal on that birdseed? I might. I'll bag it for you. Excellent. Last few days before the price goes to normal. Nice. There we are. Now, just before we go, I would like to put a little request in you, dear podcast listeners' mind. We need your help. We are just about to put together our next Wiggly catalogue and if you've got ideas of products that you think Wiggly Wigglers should be selling or making or assembling or growing... (coughs) Pardon? Sorry. (laughs) Cough sweets then. (laughs) Natural remedies for tickly throats. Could you... Let us know, because last year we had loads of good ideas. Who would have come up with selling a pushy lawnmower if it hadn't been for Podchef? No one. Who would have come up with selling Opinel knife if it wasn't for Podchef? (laughs) (laughs) 
So this is a shout out uh, to Podshire, yeah. in fact. <laughs> Could you possibly, Podshire, yeah. let us know any more products that we should be supplying to our dear customers? Excellent. So anything wiggly, let us know. Email address? Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk. PWG at lowerblakemere.co.uk. I want to know about the products, and I'm Heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. Until next week, it's bye from me. And it's bye from me. Bye-bye. The world.